I think advertising is a bit less intrusive than the old days of banner ads and pop-ups. I think more intrusive because it's almost like it knows what I want before I do. In an ideal world, I would want advertisers to know very little about me. Hopefully none. Just my interests. Nothing to do with me. On one hand, I feel like it can be pretty useful. You get ads that actually apply to what you may be interested in or what you're looking for at a given time. When something that is advertised to me that I might actually like, I buy it. (laughs) I hate that I'm that person, but I have zero strength and I love and hate it. Last episode, we went back in time and discovered how the banner ad, the OG internet advertising unit, came to be. We also learned how much of the internet was made up on the fly by a bunch of kids in a garage and how so much of what they did back then still dominates how we think about and use the web today. But the cookie, as they say, is crumbling. We're at a crossroads. Massive changes to the ecosystem are about to land. Consumers are more savvy and marketers have a pretty big task ahead of them. But the future is full of opportunities too. What do you need to know? Let's find out. I'm Dan Monheit, and from Meta, this is Connected, the show that dives into marketing's past and explores its future. See, the thing about advertising is we don't actually hate it. You know this, you're a consumer too. Advertising doesn't have to be annoying. Sometimes it introduces us to things we actually want or need. And if you're anything like me, you also spend parts of COVID tapping on sponsored ads just to feel a sense of connection. Human behavior tells us we want to feel understood by other people, and that extends to brands too. We can assume internet users actually want their ads to be more targeted, not less. We want ads that show our needs are understood, and we don't want them to waste our time. But we also want to give up less data. We simultaneously want marketers to know more and less about us, so something has to give. In a fun twist of fate, new rules and regulations have the potential to guide marketers in the right direction. IAB Australia CEO Gay Leroy is on the front line of these changes. People want more personalised experience but less data collected about them, so getting that balance right is definitely going to be hard. I don't have the answers that would be worth a billion (laughs) dollars if I, I knew how to do that, but I know there are a lot of solutions being developed that provide consumers with increasingly optimal advertising experience. At Meta, they're taking what they've learned and leading the way when it comes to making it personal, in the right way. Let's hear from their ANZ head of product marketing, Ian Stone. What we've seen over the last 20 odd years of the business growing is that personalised ads and relevant ads are very important, not just for business results, not just for the importance of the advert itself, but also the enjoyment of being on the platform as well. Like You don't want just a load of unrelated ads being thrown at you. So consumers do want, we've seen this time and time again, a personalised ad experience. But what's changed dramatically over the last few years is consumers want and expect a greater level of control and a greater level of visibility on how their data has actually powered this personalization ad to come to them. If they're giving up any data, they want to know where it's going, why it's going there. If they're seeing an ad, how did you know to serve me that ad? People want transparency and answers to these questions uh, more and more without giving up that personalized ad experience. Hey, Dan, I'm a bit confused. What on earth does this all mean? Ah, thanks for asking, conveniently placed member of the public in my recording studio. Here's a bit of a crash course. The thing about data is, it's not how much you have, it's what you do with it. Or, it's not the size of the data in the warehouse, it's how you use it. At least that's what they tell me. 
Over the past 20 years, we've become a bit obsessed with the idea of collecting data. Not only the stuff we need, but gathering as much as humanly possible. So rather than, this is a 25-year-old man, we want to know that this is a 25-year-old man who likes boat shoes, preferably in tan, likes watching Ozark, playing songs by three terrible bands on repeat, calling his mum but never often enough, and having pizza on Sundays. The coming changes mean we won't have access to this data anymore unless we're the ones who have collected it. That's called first-party data. In the last episode, we talked about third-party cookies. For years, they've gathered data from other companies' websites and made it possible to learn about your potential customers, even if they've never heard of you. Now, changes at Google and Apple mean they are off the table. First-party data is what you collect through your own channels, and it's not limited to your website. It might include your loyalty program, what you know about foot traffic in your stores, data stored in your CRM, newsletter subscriptions, and activity that comes through your social channels. Experts reckon it might be a bit of an eye-opener for marketers and a chance to really look at the data they've had access to until now. How much of it do they really need? What kind of relationships have they been building with their customers? Meet Rose Herzig, President of Creative Transformation Business WPP, Australia and New Zealand. The funny thing about data is advertisers don't need everything. They only need the right thing. So if you look at somebody like me, all they need to know about me is my gender, the interests that I have, and how fast it is to liberate my cash. That's kind of all they really need to know. They don't need to know anything else. If they're selling me a fashion item, they've got to know, does Rose love clothing or footwear? Is she into fashion? Is she somebody who just loves the thrill of buying something fashionable and isn't too fussed about the price tag? And does she consider it fun to shop online? Now, they're of the only things they need to know about me, and yet they seek to collect all this other stuff that is frankly irrelevant. And so what I often say to advertisers is, what is it that you think you need? And by the way, and not for nothing, you could get that information pretty easily from the right customer. And yet the real question is you only need two or three data points that make sense in your category for your brand and not everything else. The shopping list of data is where people get themselves into trouble. And so the real conversation should go from, I need to find out everything about Rose to what is it that I need to know about Rose to get her to buy and be a loyal customer. But a social media expert, Meg Coffee, points out, consumers are wising up about what is happening with their data. Data makes my life easier. You know, personalization makes my life better. But there is a line. I don't need you in every part of my life. Now, again, that might be generational. The ones younger than me who don't know life without smartphones. So I think there is a shift. But what that shift is coming from is that we're now realizing that data is being collected. Whereas before, even though data was being collected, we didn't understand that. But as a collective, we do now. And so now we're going, whoa, wait a second. What are you doing with that data? And we have these online lives that live forever now, as opposed to you go 90 years and you're done. Humans are curious by nature. If we weren't, we'd probably still be living in caves. And as Meg points out, our relationship with the internet has matured over the last few years. So it's natural people start asking questions about where those ads that seem just a little bit too accurate are coming from. There's a gap in the general understanding of how the internet and the tools we as marketers take for granted works. That gap creates questions, and those questions can lead to trust issues. And as Ian Stone points out, there's a job that needs to be done by our industry to be more transparent with customers to restore that trust. People spend more and more time online, particularly over the last couple of years, and have become aware of 
misuse of data or the potential misuse of data, data leakage, et cetera, um, which might come back to be detrimental to themselves. So it makes perfect sense to me, even as a consumer, that I'd want to know where my data was going and that it's being used in a responsible and careful way. I don't want it being inappropriately stored. I don't want it being shared to parties that I wouldn't necessarily want it to be shared to, uh, et cetera. So I feel that this has been kind of a rapid evolution of consumers wanting to be in control and have that transparency. From an advertiser perspective, when you're gaining this data, if you like, from the transactions that you have, whether it be on your website or your app, you should be communicating in a very transparent and clear manner that's articulated in a way that's clear to anyone of any digital literacy. It's not just covering bases, it's really allowing people to know where their data is going, why it's going there, and to opt out if they if they want to. And that will help build trust at the consumer and advertiser level. It will help build trust at a platform level, um, that this data isn't just being used just to farm out and sell ads, um, you know, left, right, and center, um, as we build that through. And it opens up, I suppose, a new conversation about first-party data strategy for businesses, of how to take this into a competitive advantage in the future. So you already know all kinds of stuff about your customers, and they like you, hopefully. Now is a chance to focus on growing those relationships. Retailers are lucky because that's just part of the gig. Customers come to your website or into your store, and you know what they buy. You know if they're a loyalty member, what size clothing they wear, or their favorite beer. Maybe you already know their coffee order, or how often they replace their moisturizer. But some of the biggest companies in the world that manage some of the most famous brands in the world actually have the least access to first-party data because they are so far away from the actual point of purchase. And this is a situation where clever marketers are turning to technology to find other people who are likely to buy. Social media has been a fantastic tool for building communities around even the most niche brands, and now there's the ability to find new audiences who share traits with those fans and get in front of them with ads and offers. Of course, these offers need to give potential customers something compelling enough to make them start a new relationship and hand over their data in the process. One method is flattery, like the hugely popular Bonds baby search, the annual competition to find Australia's cutest baby. Sometimes it's a more explicit value exchange, like a prize or a discount. If you think about it, there are stacks of opportunities to generate and interpret first-party data. Loyalty programs, online competitions, trigger emails for stuff people have accidentally left in their cart, even an old-school paper sign-up form on a shop counter. Plus, this kind of meets the criteria we talked about earlier, right? Interpreting information about your customers from data they have given you, so you can better understand them and give them a more personalized, targeted experience. Mostly, brands are about to learn they can't expect data for nothing, as Rose Herzig explains. Show them the value. If we're offering them up, whether it be a catalog of recommendations from Netflix or a catalog of health foods because you're a health food nut, let's show them the benefit of how much time it stops wasting, how you can cut to the chase by knowing more about the customer. Let's show them live examples of what that looks like. Funnily enough, we don't really show the why or the value. People don't get the value equation on what that information is going to give them. They're never going to give it up. And yet, That's a pretty easy thing to do, but then you've got to actually show that they're getting value in return for sharing their data. This is where things tend to fall down. Companies aren't very good at articulating in simple, beautiful English the value that they're going to give that customer. You've actually got to be a bit of a futurist and predict and have predictive behaviour in what that benefit will be. And I think that scares a lot of marketers for fear of getting it wrong. But bottom line, they don't know what they don't know, so they just ask everything and hope that something works. That isn't the future. That is not going to be the way forward for getting people to share their data. 
So I think the companies that will be able to adapt to this and succeed are the ones that are going to focus on their community, the ones that are going to focus on who their people are and who their customers are and value those customers and listen to what they want and show diversity amongst their advertising, but also amongst the people that work for them and make sure that they take care of their employees. Like it's a whole holistic shift. As Meg says, the brands that will succeed are the ones that take the opportunity to reconnect with their community. You know, the customers who make it all possible in the first place. See, here's the thing. Consumers need personalization. Even we, expert marketers who see the cogs turning, have monkey brains that aren't cut out to deal with the multitude of choices we now face every single day. Advertising has always been a way to steer us towards certain answers, or to encourage us to pick one brand over another at the supermarket shelf. Now, it's amplified. The challenge is to be actually helpful. It's time to use first-party data to respond to real consumer needs, to delight, to inspire. Maybe it's an opportunity to really look at what you're offering and reflect on why consumers want it in the first place. That could mean anything from better targeted trigger emails to whole campaigns based around how well you know your customers. Some brands are already doing this really, really, really well. My name's Belle Taylor. I'm the Senior Marketing Manager here in Australia for Spotify. Unless you're on one of those depressing internet detoxes, in which case, come back, it's really nice over here, you know about Spotify's Wrapped. At the end of every year, they put out a sharp, beautifully designed recap of what you listen to during the year and encourage you to share it with your mates. Wrapped is released early December every single year. We never release the actual date that it goes live. It's all about drumming up the anticipation. You never quite know when it's going to drop. And from a mechanical perspective, it really is just taking a step back and looking at your user behavior over the past year. What did you listen to a lot of? What did you kind of get a little bit into and then fell off on the side? I think we can all think of podcasts that we went really deep on, particularly in 2021. I listened to the entire archive of quite a few podcasts and we're able to kind of remind users of what their year was about. And I think as Wrapped has evolved over the years, it has become so much more than just that year in listening. Our users actually see it as a reflection of themselves as a whole. It takes something that is so often cold and transactional, data points about what we did, what we listened to, and turns it into something highly emotive, highly personal that's reflective of the year that you've gone through or that we've all shared. And so that's why our users are so motivated to share it. It's not so much the data points that are attached to their own listening and their profile on Spotify. It's in fact a story about themselves and what they were passionate about or perhaps how they felt. And I think certainly as as Wrapped has grown to be this cultural phenomenon, more of that dialogue has accompanied the release of Wrapped every single year. It's not so much that I was, you know, obsessed with this one artist. It was I was obsessed with this one artist because I was, you know, going through this really emotional time and every single song there just like hit different. And that's what I want to share with my friends. I want to connect with them on that level. Right. Like how in August your girlfriend broke up with you and now your most listened to track is Here's to Moving On by Dashboard Confessional. Or you're smashing it at work this year because you had the Tim Ferriss show or, you know, the Bad Decisions podcast in your ears every morning on your way in. Or if you're me, your most played band is still the Wiggles because your kids made you play it in the car every damn morning. Hot potato, hot potato. What's interesting about Wrapped is that it's totally data forward. It's not hiding what it knows about you. It's actually showcasing it. And it's made it cool to then share all of that data with friends on Instagram. The magic of Wrapped and how Spotify thinks about data generally is how it connects us all 
by identifying the weird and the wonderful and often something that you don't think you've shared with anyone else or you don't think another person would be likely to do. But when you're part of a global community of listeners who are passionate about so much, you can really take a step back and say, hey, we're all in this together. We're all fans. We're all passionate. And that's really what I'm learning. We can find the things that unite us in the weird. So yeah, personalization is great when it's done well. And when you get real evidence, you're cooler than your mates. It can foster a sense of belonging, community, and understanding. From a behavioral science point of view, personalization and recommendations probably enable most things to happen these days. In a world of infinite choice, the puny human brain is easily overwhelmed. I'll be blunt. There's more to life than gathering third-party cookies and making assumptions about random data. Knowing someone's demographic profile and what websites they visit only tells you so much. Have you ever met a fiction writer? You're advertising to them based on search terms like can a body decay in a bog? And how to steal a car? Third-party data has always been, at best, a bit of a guess. Clearly then, things need to change. And they are. These changes are going to make a material difference to the way every brand advertises online. So what do businesses need to do to evolve successfully? The IAB's Gayla Roy has a few useful pointers. In reality, it's going to make it slightly harder to have a largely fragmented spin, which is something that does worry me because it means there's probably less opportunities for small brands on either side, media or client, to be able to pull together those pieces. So in reality, it means working with your, you know, most marketers will have a MarTech vendor, working through legals with them. I think that's going to be an important piece, reshaping dashboards and finding different proxies at times for metrics they may have already had. And again, that will be around experimentation, testing. There's a couple of things I fear about it. It could be easy to go back to a last click type model, which we've spent the last 10 years trying to understand a broader attribution model. So I think marketers have to be really, really careful to ensure that they're working with really smart research partners, MarTech vendors, partners, to work out what that model looks like. It's going to be harder for small brands than large brands who don't have those resources. For us, and I think this is a shift probably in the past 18 months, moving away from being extremely reliant on just one platform or just two platforms, making sure that we are where our customers are, making sure that we have our website up and ready and that email marketing is huge for us because it allows us to tell longer form stories, to give you links to more information if you want it or just to skim the top if that's all you have time for. So the shift is definitely, it's not so much what we're doing because we've always been doing it. It's just now we're doing it a little bit differently. But what I see the shift in real life is that, yeah, those that are becoming the storytellers and it's less of the car salesman beating the chest by now. It's let me show you how my product adds value without you even realizing that's what I'm doing. That's the shift, I think, in social that's working. I'm actually extremely positive on the way this challenge is laid out in front of us. As an industry, we've already started to come together to understand what the next iteration of advertising should and would look like, putting privacy and privacy enhancing technologies at the front of it. Getting this right is going to take effort. We'll all be doing a lot more number crunching and creative testing. It's actually a bright and exciting future ahead. Maybe, just maybe, this is about a return to what advertising once was. A deliberate, careful dive into who our customers are and what they actually want. Being genuine, being helpful, guiding them towards decisions they'll feel good about later. Being creative and clever with how we share our brand love. All the reasons we got into marketing in the first place, right? 
Beyond the tech overhaul brands are facing, this could be a change for good. An opportunity for your customers to fall in love with you all over again. Maybe Ian can say it better than I can. There's definitely a way for the industry to get towards that North Star, to get towards that best case scenario. And I think that's a really fascinating space that we work towards together in understanding the role of privacy enhancing technologies so that we can have the best of both those worlds. Big thanks to social media expert Meg Coffey, the IAB's Gayla Roy, WPP's Rose Herzig, Spotify's Bell Taylor, and Meta's Ian Stone for speaking to us for this episode. Make sure you subscribe or follow to get all our future episodes. Connected is a Clearhaze Consulting production for Meta ANZ. It's executive produced by Meta's Georgina Gellert and Alexandra Sloan, and produced by Alex Hayes, Janelle Lawrence, and Sophie Woods. Episodes are written by Anna Spargo Ryan, with music, sound design, and editing by Adrian Breakspear and production support from Akansha Singh, Courtney Devereaux, and Leah Young. I'm Dan Monheit, and until next time, this is Connected from Meta.